The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. It's Wednesday. You know I love Wednesdays. We have Dr. Doreen Grampache here with us, and in just a few minutes, she is going to be answering your questions live here on the show, which is very exciting. A little bit later on in the show today for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, Nancy Allspot-Jackson is going to be joining me, and we have a panel of autism moms. We're going to be talking about safety issues. So it will be myself, Nancy Allspot Jackson, Emily Island is going to be here with us and Star Taxman as well. And we'll have an opportunity to talk about safety and you guys can write in and give your feedback too. So we have an autism mom panel on safety a little bit later on. But first we have Dr. Doreen Grandpache, which could anything be better than that? And I want to remind you at this point that the whole show is meant to be interactive. We want your input, your feedback, your questions. Emily's going to cycle through some of the different ways that you can get in touch with us and watch the show while I remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, there's a lot of things to do. Please make sure that you sign up for our newsletter and share that with other people. It's a great pipeline for information, and we've got some really time-saving and money-saving things that are going to be coming to you on that newsletter. But also while you're on that page, you can be watching the live show or the most recently recorded live show, and you can be interacting with us on the live feature. To the side of the screen, there are a series of white boxes. All you need to do is stick your cursor in the white box that says your question, and you can start typing. There is no login. There's no credit card because it's all free. We don't even know who you are or where you are, so I always encourage you to tell us what part of the world you're writing to us from because the access to services is going to be different and it will inform whoever is answering the question about what is available to you, at least a little bit. Uh, and we always remind you that because you have total anonymity, that's a wonderful thing. Nobody gets to know who you are. That's delightful. But if you want us to get back to you about something specific, let's say you request a study or more information about something, make sure that you give us a way to get back to you. Otherwise, we're, we're left in the dark. We don't know where you are. We don't know who you are. And we won't share that information with the folks at home. We will keep that to ourselves. In any case, uh, please use that live feature, especially during this next hour, because you have an opportunity to talk to one of the greatest minds, if not the greatest mind in the field of autism today, and have a conversation back and forth. So without further ado, it's time for Ask Dr. Doreen. 
Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand-Pichet. Dr. Grand-Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. We welcome Dr. Doreen Grampichet back. Good morning. You were away in Washington, D.C. last That's week. Right. And That's so right. it's lovely to have you back. Thank you very much. We remind everybody that you are an expert in this field of autism. You're oh. a visionary in this field, and we're so grateful to have you and be able to have this opportunity to speak to you. But even in this format, we need to remind everybody and caution everybody that no one, including an expert of your caliber, can give child-specific or individual-specific specific advice. That's right. We, we caution our viewers um, and we will generally always recommend that you see someone locally, um, an expert. It's very difficult to give advice when I don't know the children or the adults that we're talking about. I don't know them personally and I haven't seen their histories or backgrounds. So. But having said that, having this opportunity to be able to ask Dr. Grampichet questions about what's happening in your home and get a general feel for things. It, I, I find it so helpful. I learn every single week that we're here and I hear from you guys on a regular basis how helpful this is to you. It's exciting. Thank you. I wish I'd had this opportunity to ask you questions from the beginning, right, right. Uh, but this is invaluable. So we thank, thank you. you for taking the time. We know you're super it's busy. It's a pleasure. No. <laughs> uh, okay, I want to start with a question that's coming to us from Ireland. Oh, great. So so, uh, hi, just wanted to ask Dr. Doreen about toilet training. I've been trying to toilet train my son for the last year using ABA. He can stay dry for the whole day and night, but will not pee or poo on the toilet unless I put his nappy on. He will pee in his pants in certain parts of the house when no one is looking. I have tried leaving the bathroom and closing the door in case it's a privacy issue that he just needs, but will still not. he still will not go. He is 11, nonverbal, and has severe autism. He was in a non-anti-ABA institution type school until two years ago and only had access to a quality fuller ABA program in the last six months, though always had at least 10 hours of ABA at home. So his understanding and skills are limited. Any advice would be great and thanks. And again, she says uh, from Ireland. We, we love that you guys, uh, we have a huge contingent of people watching in Ireland and we love oh, when you guys wonderful. give us input. I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, I don't know that I can that I understand the problem though because uh, I think the, what was written was that he doesn't uh, go on the potty unless we put his nappy on, which means his diaper. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't. So how does that work? You put his diaper on and then he voids in the toilet. I'm not sure I really understand exactly what is going on. So. And that would be important because yeah. I, I, it's a, it's sort of a procedure where you have to shape the behavior, and I'm not sure where, what the behavior is right now. Did you understand the challenge? Well, it's sounding like to me that there is a flexibility issue here and that the only way that they can get success going onto the potty is that the nappy has to go on first. It's like the signal that now you can do it, so they got to put the, the diaper on, and then he can go to the bathroom. So you put it on, take it off, and then he can go to the bathroom. Otherwise, if they just remove the diaper, it's going to happen in his pants, and he, and if, and they put him on the toilet he won't do it that's what it sounds like to me and if I have that wrong write us back in um, but that's yeah. what it's sounding like to I me. mean if that's the case 
which I don't know how, if that's the case, mm -hmm. then I would start to just reduce the size of the nappy. It's a very basic thing. So you just, and then again, it depends on what type of, I, it's, I assume since he's older, it's a pull-up mm -hmm. type thing. So you literally just, what you could do is you could start cutting holes inside the, uh, the crotch area essentially mm -hmm. so that it ends up just being uh, like a belt mm -hmm. so that he feels that there's something there but he could actually with it on even sit down and void so Does that makes sense to you so yeah. you start to grab very slow pieces cut out the bottom portion of it so it's almost like systematic desensitization for not having the nappy on yeah, it's some, it's a shaping. It's like uh, you know, an example would be kids who always want to carry a blanket around with them. Mm -hmm. It's a safety blanket or mm -hmm. something. You know, it gives them some sense of security. Um, I will, over the course of a month, uh, chop off very small parts of it so <laughs> that it ends up being a very small piece that they can put in their pocket. Very cool. So it's stuff like that. So essentially, what you're doing is for some, if that, if our understanding of the situation which is we're not correct, sure. which yeah. we don't really know, uh, then what you do is just start to gradually reduce the size of the nappy and get rid of it. And he won't, after, uh, if you do it slowly, it won't affect his behavior at all. Okay. And please let us know if we understand what's going on correctly. Yeah. I'm not sure what it, how, what's happening okay. right now. And I'm not sure either. Okay, I'm going to move on to the next question. We talked a lot, and we're going to continue talking a lot this week about safety issues. We had um, someone on uh, the show yesterday from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Oh, good. Talked about some forms that we can fill out as parents in the worst case scenario that if our children go missing. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about types of things to be aware of for first responders if your child does go missing and and one of the pieces of advice they gave was that if they go missing to start looking in and around water that that tends to be where our kids are drawn to so the question that came in yesterday was why why are they right. drawn to water and, and you know it's not every child some children will be drawn to water and that's simply because they like to self-stimulate with water some children I mean uh, so some of the children will like the you know, a lot of our kids will like to get to a source of water and then flap it like this and en they enjoy the sound, but the visual, they definitely enjoy the visual uh, sort of aspect of how the water looks when they do this. Um, some of our children just like to swim in water, uh, even if they don't know how to, they enjoy the, the feeling of water around them. Um, and so, you know, there's a certain percentage of kids that are definitely drawn to water. Yeah. Uh, but other children could be drawn to other things. I mean, uh, children could be drawn to a place that's echoes. Mm -hmm. They could be drawn to uh, particular types of light reflections. They could be, you know, it's such a huge variety of things that, that draw our kids. And, and it's usually self-stimulatory in nature, so a, a place that will allow you to self-stimulate. Okay. Uh, and I Which think is why it's so important, I mean, for you know, if you don't know if your child is drawn to water, you would know. It, it would be a primary self-stimulatory thing. But that's why yesterday on the on the news segment we did, I was suggesting that you, really we should teach our kids how to swim. It's very important. Yeah. 
really important on the list of many different things to do. That's right. And uh, we we actually had um, because it was a case here. If you weren't watching yesterday here in Los Angeles, of uh, Romario Snow, who an 18 year old who went missing for 20 days, and we had the opportunity to have um, both Romario and his mom, who ultimately was the person who found him. What an amazing woman she is! Searched the streets of Los Angeles for 20 days until she found him. And so that has spurred this whole conversation about, you know, the fact that a lot of our kids, uh, they they say that over 50% of our kids will elope for whatever reason. And and so I wondered if you could talk just a minute about, um, I think there are a lot of people out there who are in denial and think that their kids are going to stop eloping, mm-hmm. um, that it's just a phase, like they're two, they're three, and that it's going to stop. And then sometimes, sometimes it doesn't stop without treatment for our kids mm-hmm. with autism. Mm-hmm. And then I also wondered if you could talk a little bit about the people who now have accepted, oh, my child is an eloper and feel that it's never going to stop. They're going to spend the rest of their lives doing that and feel that there's no hope. Okay. So, you know, the whole concept of eloping, like why do our children even run away um, and or adults? Um, and you would, you know, it's there is a sense of curiosity about various things that are in the environment. There, just as I said, certain stimuli like, oh, um, I think I hear water. And you know, keep in mind, a lot of our kids have very different sensory abilities than we do, and much stronger in certain areas and much weaker in other areas. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I think I want to go see if that's water, you know, and and they just start walking. Um, or um, they'll start looking up at the sun and they'll see a reflection of something and they'll think they can walk towards it mm-hmm. and they'll start walking. And, um, or they'll hear a sound that they're curious about and then they'll start pursuing it. And the problem is that just like typically developing young children, same thing with our kids and, and it, it just goes at a, a longer age or a later age, um, our, our kids are not aware of safety and danger and the fact that they will get lost and the fact that they could be abducted and the fact that they, um, you know, they could be just taken advantage of somehow or hurt somehow accidentally or they're not aware of any of those things. Or that they don't know how to swim. Like they, they don't, don't know how yeah. to swim. No, no concept at all. Like I said, it's the same sort of functioning level of a younger child. You yeah. know, so like a three, four-year-old would also have the same types of safety yeah. issues. Typical three or four-year-old. Um, oh, a car can hit me, or you know, any of those things. So um, they, it doesn't even occur to them that they're stepping into a dangerous zone, and so they just pursue that one element that's drawing them. So that's kind of, you know, and it is very, very typical of many, many children. I was trying to stress the importance of this yesterday on the segment because uh, at, at a certain age, every child will elope just simply because um, a from the antecedent perspective, they don't really know that they're putting them, placing themselves in, a, in an environment that's dangerous. From consequence perspective, in most cases, it's actually kind of like a game for our indiv- for our children, thinking that their parents will find them. Mm. So a lot of typically developing children either even will like run away and hide, because it is uh, attention seeking and it's kind of fun to see the parents freaked out looking for mm. me. 
and they don't understand that it is not fun for the parents because they don't have that that theory of mind to understand right. what they're putting a parent through. But in my, so, in other words, not that it's intentional, but they're not really aware of any of the consequences. And even if they are aware of the fact that a parent will come looking and screaming my name, they misinterpret that as oh, the parent is giving me attention. This is a game. So for many reasons, it's very attractive for our children to elope. Now, is it? can we stop it? Absolutely. It's, it's just the behavior, and you can change the behavior. And, you know, the reason typically developing kids get to a point where they don't do these things is fear, yeah. right? I mean, we talk about this in regards to anything else that's dangerous. And I've referred to uh, very... Uh, interesting psychologists in our field, old, you know, this is um, in the early 1900s, Watson, mm -hmm. you know, he came and said, I can do, I can change the behavior, I can turn any child into, you know, a uh, really angel-like child or into a psychopathic type child. And the reason that I can do that is because I can modify their behavior. And that's the whole sort of beginning of the understanding that changing behavior or ABA, which used to be called behavior modification, is a really powerful, powerful tool. Yeah. Um, and, you know, can, can do a lot of good and a lot of harm. So the example was that he had a baby and, you know, infants obviously are not really afraid of anything. Uh, because they haven't experienced anything yet. Yeah. And just like ABA, uh, how we when we say in ABA that you have a behavior and a consequence occurs to that behavior, and that uh, modifies the likelihood of recurrence of that behavior. So, let's say um, you know I will say hello to you, and you're very you smile when I say hello. So your smiling is a consequence to my saying hello, and therefore I start to learn that my behavior increases. I will tend to say hello to people more often now because I like to, I'm rewarded by their smiles. Right. So the same thing here, what he did was he had a child and the child was not afraid of, let's say, a snake or anything, any stimulus. And I think he used a, a rat or something, a white rat, but in, in the original studies. And so all he did was, so the child, the baby, the, you know, uh, I think, less than one year old, nine months or 12 months old, is sitting and playing with this uh, rodent. Mm. And um, <clears throat> then he would just pair the rat with a very loud sound behind the infant. So a very loud clapping sound or banging sound when the, infant, when the rodent came out. And of course, within a few pairings, the child was now terrified of the rodent. And so it's a, that's classical conditioning, and it is extremely powerful. That's like operant conditioning. It's a conditioning process. Mm -hmm. So whether, so in other words, the stimulus that was a neutral stimulus is now paired with, with a fear-evoking, with a startling mm -hmm. stimulus, and therefore now the neutral stimulus takes on those properties, and in, in, in and of itself it becomes fear-evoking. So that's what happens to normal children they learn and these are the fear elements yeah i'll touch f fire and ouch my finger just burned that's operant conditioning mm -hmm. so okay now i know i'm not going to touch fire anymore right um why do we not go towards 
spiders or rodents or whatever simply because we are so aware of our parents reactions right. that we realize oh they're showing me fear that means this is something I should stay away from so if you are a parent and you love all kinds of insects your kids are most likely not going to be afraid of them right. unless they see something scary on TV or something right. you know? so it's always a learning experience so what I'm saying is with our kids who wander, they never are aware of the stimuli in the environment that should cue them into this is dangerous. Like what happens if you're a typical child and you run away, mom and dad will be like, where are you going? Come back here. It's not safe. Don't ever do that. I remember Charlie once hid behind the car in a parking lot and I was terrified and I must have really yelled at her, you know, and yeah. she never did that again. Right. But our kids don't get those messages. So they, it is dangerous, but it is teachable. So okay. it's a matter of teaching them. Now, in the meantime, there are many things that parents can do, and I think these are worth mentioning here. So first thing is, please make sure you have locks on the doors that are um, that have an alarm. Those are very cheap, very easy to order. Amazon, you can order them there little boxes like this and it just goes on the door and if the door opens the alarm goes off these are very important to have because you will know and be aware that someone's coming in or out yeah also a lot of people ha do have um, bracelets just ha identification bracelets a lot of people have now started using the GPS tracking devices yeah. um, that you can actually put on the child's wrist or uh, ankle and then, of course, it would be important if you do have a child who's a wanderer or who's a child who isn't aware of safety issues, take your child to the neighbors and introduce to the neighbors, tell the neighbors that your child might wander off and what's going on. Actually go visit the local fire station and the local police station, introduce your child to those individuals and say, I'm just letting you know in case, it's just so they become familiar with autism as well. Yeah. Um, and and you know the the special things about your child. I mean, a lot and of your kids, kid will love it too. By yeah, the that's way. true. They love the visit, and 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 then they will not fear those people. That's right. The police and the fire department. That's right. We we had a great time meeting important. our local firemen and policemen. Yeah. Yeah, that's very important. And then you know, for those kids who are drawn to water, please uh, teach them how to swim. Yeah. Like that is kind of important as well. Don't forget, all our kids learn everything. They're capable of learning everything. They just learn it in a different way and it requires a little bit more of a structured instructional process which is ABA but what could be more important than teaching them safety absolutely so it's something that we need to focus on thank you so much for sure. telling us all those great tips we're gonna take a short break we got a lot of questions that have been coming in we're gonna start to get some of those questions after these messages stick with us Hello fellow activists, last week we talked about the first step to empowerment, accept and embrace this challenge. Sometimes you have people that support you in your denial, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your mother. When I expressed my concern to my pediatrician about Wyatt losing language around the age of two, his response, maybe he's a late talker, he's a boy, let's wait and see. <laughs> But what about the temper tantrums? What about the fact that he put his head through the kitchen window? What about the bite marks and scratches all over my arms and chest? He said he's probably just frustrated that he can't express himself. Let's wait and see. 
but autism doesn't afford us that luxury. Of course, I was relieved with my pediatrician's reassurances, but I should have gone with my gut, because if I had, I could have gotten a diagnosis two years earlier, and I lost two valuable years that could have been spent on early intervention. And finally, when Wyatt was diagnosed, he was misdiagnosed, but of course, part of that was my problem too. I lied in a lot of those parent questionnaires so things looked better. I can't turn back the hands of time, but I can recommend that you face this challenge head on. Denial prevents us from walking a path we eventually will have to walk anyway. The sooner you face the truth, the sooner you can help your child. Until next time, take care of yourself and keep the faith. Welcome back to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grampuche is here with us and she's answering your questions live on the show. So you can be writing them into the live feature. Keep them coming. Okay. Hi, Dr. Doreen. How can I tell what kinds of learner my son is? I was convinced he was mostly visual because even when he, uh, when he got to when he gets to read, he reads along. He does better with schedules rather than without, but yet the doc, the developmental doctor's report said he is auditory more than visual. I seem to disagree, but want to know how to be sure to know him better as well as help him learn. I think people may assume a lot about him, even professionals, uh, because he is very verbal. And we don't have an age on this child, so if... Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's easy to test things out. So if, if testing is showing that he's auditory, he's an auditory learner, I, I assume that's what you mean, that his auditory input skills are stronger than his visual. And if you feel that he's a visual learner, well, then good for him. In other yeah. words, he's got strengths <laughs> in both areas. Yeah. But it's easy to test because you can just give him new concepts, anything, and I don't know his skill level, but anything that is completely new in a visual format versus a spoken format and then see which one he responds better to. Okay. It's really that simple. I would, if he is, um, I think they, the mom wrote he's beginning to read or he reads along. It, it sounds like, uh, she says, even when he gets to read, he reads along. Yeah. So I don't know if he is all that visual i'm not sure but keep in mind that uh the visual stimulus is tends to be more beneficial to pretty much everyone because it's it's a stable remaining stimulus so something that's visual if i write something down and i put it in front of you it's there it's remains so you're if your processing speed is low mm -hmm. you can revert back to it it's a present thing that you can always see if, if your processing speed is low and I say something, it's gone. And you won't catch it because your processing speed is low, so it needs to be repeated numerous times. So that's the difference between visual and auditory. So in general, visual that's why we make notes for ourselves. Okay. okay? I'm, just, I'm thinking of myself. I'm, yeah. I have to take notes or right, that would, right. it would be gone because, for me. Exactly, because it's not, you're, you, the alternative to that is... Uh, to you know tape it and then it'll respond to it'll, you mm -hmm. can have a recorder that tells you all the things right mm -hmm. but we like to see things visually because you can put a list of items yeah. you can there's a lot of things you can do visually that you can't do auditorily because it's a moment in time versus a st solid item yeah so 
in general, people tend to do better with visual simulation anyway. So that's what, what you might be seeing. And the fact that he likes, I think you said he likes um, schedules. Yeah. Every one of our kids likes schedules. And the reason they like schedules is because it gives them a sense of what's coming next. Yeah. So that they're not just being maneuvered around. You know, one of the things that I always teach teachers when I'm working with teachers is like please give him a schedule and please stick with the schedule even if you're going to change it every day it doesn't matter just put it up on the wall go through it with him because it is unbelievably frightening for an individual who doesn't know what's happening in the next five minutes if you know I have not only do I put schedules on the wall I use timers often mm -hmm. so this is what we're gonna do these five activities and each one I'm setting the timer so you know when this one's over and then we go to the next one so it's kind of like becomes you know this is what your day looks like type yeah. thing so that's uh, a given as well most of our children I would say all of our children really love knowing what's coming next and so that's not necessarily the fact that he likes that doesn't necessarily indicate that he's a visual learner okay um, you know having said that a lot of times uh, the best way to find out is not really depending on testing it's more about just how does he learn you you know him yeah. see how yeah. he learns yeah, I, I tend to think that mom's gut here uh, is pretty accurate. Right, she knows exactly right, what right. kind of learner. But how great that it shows that he can learn in both ways. Yeah, because absolutely. that's the ideal thing anyway. Absolutely. Okay, remarkable. Okay, uh, somebody wants to know, Dearest Dr. Doreen, the topic that I've been wanting to know about is comorbidities among children and adults on the spectrum. In particular, when it comes to psychiatric comorbidities, do you know why there aren't <coughs> any more resources uh, for these cases and why are those with autism who have psychiatric comorbidities forced to choose between mental health and developmental departments there isn't a consultation between the two we are here in New York and come across this issue all the time is there anything we can do as a community with different abilities to change this and she says many thanks what a, an amazing question yeah. and so eloquently worded so autism is a very strange thing. It has it kind of crept up on everyone and nobody really knew what to do with it. You know, even right now autism is classified under the mental disorders obviously, but then it is referred to as a developmental disorder and then also a lot of people most of us think that of course it should be more of a neurological disorder. So you know, we're very confused about what autism is still to this day. I mean, we've gotten a little bit better, I think, with the DSM-5 in terms of the diagnostic criteria uh, being a little bit broader, mentioning sensory, mentioning medical, never has before. But having said that, we don't know enough about autism. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, confusion. And at the same time, of course, when you talk about state agencies, nobody really wants to own it because they don't want to fund it. It's really that simple. So here I have the same exact issue all over the country. In California, for instance, we have the regional center system, which is the Department of Developmental Disabilities. And they are responsible for a certain aspect of funding for the ABA that we do with the children. 
Um, then there's, of course, the schools and special education uh, plans and the Department of Education, and they're, of course, responsible for enacting FAPE, you know, and giving you everything that you need in order for, you, for your child to get a free and appropriate education. And then, of course, there's the insurance companies who are supposed to be providing funding for anything that's medically necessary. Now, those three types of things, sort of, you know, last resort payment and what's uh, uh, appropriate education and what's medical necessity are all really vague, uh, uh, you know, words that uh, so it enables the three agencies to kind of keep putting the ball in the other person's court and saying, this is not really my issue, it's yours. So, and, and let me tell you, had autism not been written as one of the four disorders that regional centers have to cover, they would not be interested in dealing with it. Obviously, it's a, the most costly disorder. So that's part of the problem, I think, is that people have that uh, sense of confusion about what it actually is, and then they also have this, you know, not really wanting to deal with it. Um, because it's just uh, costly to deal with. And by putting it in the other person's court and saying, oh, I, that doesn't sound like us, it sounds like them, it may just be postponing. Yeah, absolutely. But, it, but every time they postpone, it saves them money. It right. costs you, but it saves them, them money. money. And now I want to make sure I address the, the actual thing, which is comorbidities, psychiatric comorbidities. And, you know, there are, I could probably think of a lot of different psychiatric disorders that could be comorbid with autism. Many, many. Okay. I mean, there are kids that pull out their hair, you know, that, that would be a comorbidity with trichotillomania. Yeah. I mean, I have the most common, obviously, would be anxiety. I have a ton of kids who have anxiety disorders going on. I have a ton of OCD, obsessive compulsive, used to be one of the anxiety disorders. This is not a change I like in the, in the DSM, but now it's a separate disorder. But regardless, OCD could be definitely um, a comorbidity with, with uh, autism. And so there are a lot of psychiatric comorbidities. I think of it this way, um, I guess, aside, I mean, you have a point in that you want the resources of both the Department of Health and the Department of Developmental Disabilities and probably the Department of Education as well. Um, but aside from that, it doesn't matter. Just move on. You know, in other words, get the treatment that you need. Right now, you're in New York. New York has, is an insured state. Um, you know, get on, get the insurance coverage that you need. That is the primary source of uh, resource right now for our, our kids and adults. Okay. Uh, really good advice. This is an area where we need more attention. Uh, somebody wrote in and said, Hi, Dr. Doreen, we are in Virginia Beach, and mm -hmm. I know that there is a card in Alexandria, but I'm not sure if I'd be able to get remote services from cards since it's three hours away. We do have insurance that covers my son until he turns seven. We are skills users and have been for quite a while. What would you suggest I do if I want to get services from card? That's a great question. Mm -hmm. I we have a, We've on and off had a lot of kids in, in Virginia Beach. So uh, you can get remote services. It's not necessarily going to be from the Alexandria office. Okay. The Alexandria location is a little bit overwhelmed. They're, they have a huge waiting list and they're kind of packed solid and they have a school. So they're not just a, they're, they're an ABA center as well as a school. And actually they're splitting right now so that the school will be, be on different grounds so we can double the school because it's so like, ridiculously growing um, so and I just I was just out there last week and I don't know if any of the supervisors there have 
even a moment of time available. Actually, no, I take that back. You, oh, you're, did they say we have insurance funding? They have insurance funding until he turns seven. And why is that? I don't think Virginia, I don't think any of the states have a, have the ability to limit by age. If they do now, they won't. So. Well, I think uh, a lot of times it'll say that the state will cover to a certain, certain age. age. But uh, that's illegal to say that. So. But the, yeah, there's the Medical Parity Act, right. which means that far more likely you can get it a lot longer. Right. <laughs> and right. if you talk to somebody at CARD, they'll explain all that to you in great detail. Right. But it may say seven, but it's far more likely that you have it until 12 or 18. Right. So what I would suggest is that you just get in touch with um, the the workshop department, which is now called Remote Services. Remote Services. The Remote Services. Uh, you will end up probably talking to Dorothy, I think, and uh -huh. she will then refer you to uh, the director of that department is John Galley. I think I give out his name more than <laughs> anyone else, probably because I love him so much. He's such a great guy. He's such a good person in addition to being an amazing clinician and he's truly one of the most caring people we have and he will um, just take care of things he will make sure that you are assigned a supervisor who meets the qualifications of your insurance that's an important thing and that you will get services and he will try for to get you someone from the East Coast uh -huh. so that you don't have a lot of travel and so on to pay for uh, you know, my, I shouldn't do this. I was about to say the person I recommend, and I, I wouldn't do that. Okay. But I mean, you are in Virginia Beach, and I think um, you will have, you'll have some options from the East Coast, but regardless, we have about 200 BCBAs now. So um, you'll definitely be able to access. And by the way, since you are a skills user, you won't need as much from us. You know, you're very familiar with our program as a skills user, so you will need guidance on you know getting having a supervisor consult with you will move things faster a lot lot faster and then the supervisor can also really work on the the quality of your actual th therapists I hope you have therapists and you're not just doing this yourself but you know that will really speed things up so significantly should we say then that the best course of action at this moment in time is to Contact call the 800 number services, yeah. and then they will put and and tell them that you want to talk to remote services uh, they'll they'll put you through um, and, and and get you all. So the best place to go to start is the 800 number. Yeah, I think that's how we do it now. Admissions and the 800 number people will give you all the information, or they'll have Dorothy contact you. And uh, yeah, please do it. We'd love to. We can work with you and get some model in place that works for you. And and feel free to say that you were watching Autism Live. You, uh, you know, had a conversation. User. You're a skills user that you know Dr. Grampache encouraged you to call and, and yeah, because to get this we number. do have about 200 kids on the wait list right now, but not remote services. So remote services okay. will end up. They have a wait list too, but it's not as bad as the card wait list. Having said that, it really does make a difference that you say you're a skills user. Okay. All right. Very good. We're going to take a short break and come back with more of these questions. We're going to get in as many of them as we possibly can. Stick with us. Hi, I'm Lisa Ackerman. Welcome back to Talk of Facts, where you get to ask the questions and we help lead you to the common answers and available for your autism journey. A most common question we get is why are some of the treatments uh, used in the medical world not covered for autism? 
My answer to you, and it may shock you, is they are covered. The stopgap between payment and non-payment is how you code your insurance bills. Now, there are some standards uh, and American Academy of Pediatric Standards of Care for autism that are covered. Those are available on the Takanao website, takanao.org. But what you find often, and this has been proven in multiple studies, that children with autism not just suffer with or have issues with that label, they also have a lot of other medical issues that tend to come with autism. So as a parent, you need to know we have a complete white paper on all of the things I'm going to describe to you that's free. It talks about the most common comorbid conditions that comes with autism. So comorbid, just think of it as comes with. So at the TACA website, we give you all of the codes in our health insurance tips, reimbursement tips document um, that will help you code and get the maximum reimbursement from your health insurance company. So no, autism is treatable. And yes, health insurance do pay for that treatment. So. Hopefully the, that tip helped. Um, we'll see you back next time for the next Talk of Fact. Welcome back to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. I want to start with a question that somebody said, will the video for yesterday's show be available later today? That you missed it, it will be. It has to be special processed uh, for reasons that we won't go into, but it will be available later on today and I mentioned that we filmed a segment yesterday with Romario Snow and with his mom and we're gonna be showing that tomorrow so you'll want to stay tuned tomorrow for that and the the episode from yesterday will be available later on today okay so somebody wants to know are there adult services for speech in North County South Dakota area in general mm -hmm. adult services resources are hard to find in general everything is hard to find in South Dakota, North Dakota. The Dakotas have very little to offer right now for this field. I would have to, I'm not sure what there is, but here's what I suggest you do. Um, and I don't know if we have North and South Dakota on yet, but there is a software, there's a web URL for Love My Provider, LMP, Love My Provider. And what it does is it's, um, you put in your zip code and it provides you a list of all the providers in different areas, speech, ABA, you name it, you know, um, and in, in your area and the distance. And it's gradually filling up. It doesn't obviously have everyone yet, so it might not have hit the North and South Dakota, but I know that um, they are working on filling it. Um, you, what else can you do? I suppose you could get in touch with the association that uh, credentials speech pathologists which I think is called ASHA, A-S-H-A, and uh, online, and then they would have a list as well. And I always recommend reaching out. You, you, every parent should have a, a local and a global support, uh, parent support group um, that you can refer to for things like this, for the global ones that you can be asking questions about, you know, the bigger concepts. But sometimes you need to know which dentist right. is going to be amenable right. to what your child right. is going to need to do. And this is really what LNP does. Yeah. So, you know, once LNP hits the state, it's got everything. It's yeah. got dentists, doctors. 
doctors, hairdressers, you name it. And if if it isn't as full where, uh, oh, and she, they wrote back, and I, I said South Dakota, mm -hmm. uh, because for SD, but they meant San Diego. Oh, My San bad. Diego. San Diego. Much different story. Okay, San Diego, very easy. <laughs> I yeah. apologize. But we gave information for South Dakota. Dakota yeah. But San Diego, definitely Love My Provider will have information on oh, yeah, San Diego. Love My Provider will have a lot of information. <clears throat> and um, they're asking for a speech pathologist. I know some. there are some good speech pathologists in San Diego. What you should do is actually probably give a call to our San Diego office. Uh, we have one in San Marcos and one in San Diego. I would call the San Diego office and just ask to speak with... Um, well, you can ask to speak to any of the supervisors, or you can ask to speak with one of the senior staff, and there's a few people who've lived there forever. And so one person who could definitely help you is Teresa Contreras. She's going to kill me for giving out her name, but please, just call her. It'll take her two minutes. She knows all the providers in the area. Teresa Contreras, and the other one would be Jennifer Close, or Yakos, Jen Yakos. Mm -hmm. She'll be able to give you... Um, also, our, one of the older administrators there, Karen Wiley, all of these people are in our San Diego office and they will be able to easily tell you names of speech therapists in the area who will be appropriate. But also, they're asking for adult services and resources and San Diego we do, actually we do adult has... Services. Yes. Yeah, we ourselves at CARD do adult services of all types. Uh, so I'm not sure if you even need speech services because if you get your uh, adult child into our program, then we will be doing uh, speech as well. So if you're interested in that, then have a conversation with our admissions department. And that would which be the 800, 800 number. number. Okay, thank you for writing back. Uh, so sorry, I saw SD and... Uh, I would have, SD would have never even occurred to me to be South Dakota. I don't know the well, Dakota. You know, my son was just in fifth grade where they had to do all the states and all the capitals. And so why. And all the abbreviations. So that's where my head went to. So what can I tell you? Uh, how do I get the school to take elopement seriously for my mm. child any Great suggestions question. yes get it written into the IEP that's how you do it you can call an emergency IEP anytime uh, well right now if you called an emergency IEP you'd have to wait until the fall because school's out basically August they won't have any services so you will however you will get it into the IEP and then it's a legal document and then they will take it seriously and you just have to be like everything else you have to be the persistent parent who, you know, I would, what I would do if my child had elopement issues and was in a school environment, a few things. I would definitely put a GPS on him or her. Um, secondly, I would uh, get in touch with the, like I would literally go and introduce my child to all the security people at the, the school, like the guards, there's usually a security guard there. Um, I would definitely make sure you have a conversation with the principal separately and if your child has AIDS or anything, get it into the IEP so that they hold responsible a whole bunch of school staff. Um, in the IEP, it generally will say who's responsible for, for what and so you want to make sure of that. The fact that he, your child elopes is reason enough to request a one to one eight. I mean, it's a danger matter, and, and you just need to be very persistent with it. Yeah, I, and I, 
I want to say this in the nicest possible way that we've we've had this tragedy in our community, Avante Aquendo, and nothing can bring him back to us. But he left a legacy for us that, as parents, we need to stand on. And just last week in New York City, they passed the law called Avante's Law, requiring that they look at schools and prioritize where they have to have safety doors. And and that may sound like it's just for New York City, but the truth of the matter is that gives every single parent mm -hmm. who knows about that power at that IEP table to talk about safety issues. I remember when my son was starting at a new school for kindergarten and I toured the school with a camera mm -hmm. and took pictures of every single gate that was unlocked. And then we had a meeting and they brought me back and they said we fixed it and I said okay great and we toured and I had the camera again and took pictures of two gates that were unlocked. Good for you. That's amazing. And and then they put self-closing um, things and they put padlocks on certain um, gates and they changed things as a result but you kind of have to be a pain in the you know what. Yeah. And and be that pain in the you-know-what and don't be embarrassed about it. This is your child's life, yeah. you know, go after it. But also, you know, and in some ways, perhaps, I mean, if you can afford it, just order those alarms that I was saying for the doors. Yeah. The school is supposed to pay for that, obviously, to keep a safe environment for your child. But I mean, you know, these types of things tend to take a long time. Yeah. And, and just so you know, we're trying to do an initiative in partnership with an organization that actually provides the GPS watches, and if we can't, that's Act Today. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, stay on top of Act Today's website as well if we do manage a partnership with them. Either way, whether Act will do it or Card will do it, we'll do it because they have these cool GPS devices. But the one I saw yesterday is just very big. It's large, so it won't work for small children. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I'm just saying that you know there are a lot of agencies that are now actually providing these at no cost to the parents. So please do follow up on that. Yeah, there's even uh, Senator Schumer from New York State has uh, got a law that I believe is passed where your insurance should cover it, no matter great, you know. Great. So and you know that we are. Uh, of course, working on a bill in California for the to the join silver law. the silver alert. Yeah, so we're trying to join the developmental disabilities uh, population under this uh, this silver alert, which is generally for elderly with Alzheimer's, where you know they will wander off. Yeah, and so if we can add our kids to that, at least there will be an alert system in the country, which is yeah. very good. For the first time, it will make it possible because you know we have the Amber Alert system, and it works really well to right. notify people on all the highways when somebody is missing. And we have not been able to access that when a child has eloped because right. until now you've had to be able to prove that the child was abducted. But this law would change that, and we would have access to that. It would be groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. It would be really incredible. Okay, I'm gonna power on here. Uh, is the ADOS scored with a point system or is it subjective? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's the question? Yes, and then yeah, there's it, a follow-up to it. Yeah, that's it, is, the it is scored with a point system, but it is also subjective. Okay. So in other words, it's, um, it requires the child to do certain things, and if you, the, how you score what he did is subjective. So, you know, did he do it? It's not just did he do it or didn't he do it. It's kind of like, did he do it and pay attention to me or these other things? How many times did you have to respond? Did, did I have to help him? All that sort of stuff so it is pretty subjective and it is scored on a point system and it is the gold standard in this field although personally I hate it I don't think it's a good test but 
Just okay. that's my personal feeling. Okay, um, then the follow-up for it is, uh, can ASD be diagnosed without the ADOS, Absolutely. or is it considered best practice to use that tool? No, you don't need the ADOS at all to diagnose. I never use the ADOS. I only use the ADOS if I'm doing a grant, very honestly, so for research purposes. And by the way, when you the ADOS when you class when you are trained to become an ADOS administrator, you you can become reliable to a clinical level, which means you will with a group of other people, you'll have a certain reliability of how you score a child. But I think that's only eighty percent reliability. But if you want to go to a research level, you have to get I think ninety or ninety five percent reliability with other people. And let me tell you, when we trained, we were a group of like. I don't know, maybe 10 people who have known each other and worked in the industry for 20 years, all of us, people like Vince, mm -hmm. right? All of us together. And we took, we had to spend two days getting reliability. Okay. That's how subjective it is. Okay. So do you need it? Absolutely not. Most of the time, if an insurance agency or something is asking for it, it's just because they're trying to make life difficult. Okay. Uh, moving on to the next question. Are there any inpatient programs in California that deal with aggression and violent behavior? We have already tried ABA in the home and it wasn't successful. Um, so they're looking for being able to... I don't know. Um, I don't know about that. I, I don't know what inpatient programs there are here. I don't think that we have any good ones for violent behavior. UCLA has a partial hospitalization program. That's not what you're looking for. The only one that I really know of that is for real violent behavior is the program at Kennedy Krieger. Um, and I that's in Baltimore so if you have the possibility to look into that that's the one that we refer to when there's real violent behavior going on okay having said that you know depending on the age and size of the individual we're talking about uh, we do have a lot of violence when we start out and it, we are able to handle it in most of the time in, in homes I mean there's only been like maybe over the course of my career one or maybe two cases that I've referred to Kennedy Okay. Uh, somebody wants to know, can somebody help me in Spanish to make my question? I have one, di one son diagnosed with autism and he is eight years old. And we have been getting ready to announce here on the show that we're going to have a new segment that's going to air every Tuesday uh, with um, an, uh, Juan, Juan, but Juan I can't Ronderos remember. Torres. Okay, that's I couldn't come up with the last name. And Juan, we had Juan on the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, a, a really dynamic young man who is going to be, he's going to start out doing a regular segment on Tuesdays, and then in the fall, he's going to have a, a segment that we'll have on our YouTube channel all in Spanish but in the it meantime very exciting it's uh, so I hope that that will be quick enough for you but if in the meantime if you need him to help ask a question uh, between now and then um, just contact him okay and so uh, I don't know what his email is well, but his you know, email is j.ronderos I think at okay. uh, centerforautism.com okay uh, so that's a great way that you can be asking your yeah, questions in Spanish I mean don't we have I think we also have information about our Spanish speaking program on our website. I'm not sure, but please do contact him. He's in charge of our, he's working on the Spanish speaking program with Maria together, I believe. It's called Card Espanol mm -hmm. and it's. In it, fact, they have their own website. Yeah. So, um, which I believe, if I knew what the title of that was, this but I is think on you the can just look up uh, Card Espanol. I, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, 
I, I hope that you will take the opportunity to do that because um, he can I be can very helpful. You are beyond helpful. <laughs> look at you multitasking. Uh, and I'm just going to rapid fire questions. Okay, this sure. is a really important question. My question is, do you know an awesome psychologist in Fox Valley in Wisconsin who does FBA? It's for myself. I tried to do an FBA on my last challenging behavior by myself, but I don't uh, know why why do I always act out when my father, um, and I'm not sure, uh, syntax here, there's something that his father says and that he acts out because of it. He says, I have some ideas. It might be because I lost my best friend on Valentine's day. And he said, please help. Um, so, you know, some feelings, uh, that are coming up for him and he wants, he's been trying to do the FBA on himself. Uh, so what advice? Um, I mean, I don't think it's a good idea to do an FBA on yourself. I might, I don't know that I would be able to just sit there and do an FBA on any of my behaviors. Um, use our, we have a fabulous system online, uh, which you can go to, uh, I'm not sure if it's part of, if it's, is it labeled CIFA or is it labeled, um, BIP Builder. I think it's called I, BIP Builder. And then you find the CIFA under the BIP Builder right. is so what I remember. Right. So you go to BIP Builder, uh, Google that, mm -hmm. BIP, Behavior Intervention Plan Builder, and BIP Builder. And uh, there you'll find the section that says CIFA, which is CARDS Indirect Functional Assessment, and that is where you start. And you answer a bunch of questions about whatever individual behaviors you're talking about here. And then that will uh, not only give you the function, that's the functional assessment, but it'll also be able to take you to the VIP builder and give you uh, a behavior intervention plan. Okay. Now, you were looking for a psychologist, I believe. In Wisconsin. Right. So psychologists will not know anything about what a behavior intervention plan is or a functional assessment is. That's not lingo for psychologists. That is lingo for behavior analysis. And the program that's in um, Wisconsin is the WEEP, which is the Wisconsin Early Autism Project with Glenn Sallows. Um, running it, and I'm sure Glenn will ha be the best resource for you. He will be able to tell you other programs in the state and what else exists and where you should go and so on, but he won't be able to. He might, I don't know, but he's, you know, psychology is a very different discipline than behavior analysis. Behavior analysis is a type of psychology, mm -hmm. but, you know, psychodynamic Freudian analysis mm -hmm. is also a type of psychology. So really you have to kind of decide what it is you want help with. Mm -hmm. And if it is help with something like anxiety, then I would talk to a, a psychologist first. If it's help with behavior, then I would talk to a behavior analyst and Glenn will be able to help you with that. Okay. Great, great advice. And then uh, do me a favor and let me know how that works out for you so that uh, we can keep in touch. And I've got, yeah, I know who you are. You've sent that to me. So uh, keep in touch with me on that. And then uh, Emily, we're out of time or we have time for one quick question. 
I don't have her. Have time. Oh, she. Yeah, okay, I don't have. Her. Okay, uh, and this is not a quick question, but I have a child who's 14 years old and he is suffering from autism, but he is suffering from ep epilepsy. Is there a way to get rid of it? And I, I'm not an entirely sure whether we're talking about getting rid of the epilepsy or getting rid of the autism. Yeah, and if you have epilepsy, you're dealing with that first. You're not going to be dealing with anything else because that is the primary thing that's causing him to suffer and you to suffer, and that's very, very difficult. So yes, you definitely, I mean, it's not something you get rid of, it's something that you get under control with medication and diet. So I really do recommend that you connect with a good neurologist. This is a tough one, you might have to go through a few, but please do, because a lot of individuals with epilepsy are able to maintain control over it with dietary change and medication change. So. Uh, please go ahead and do that and that'll be very helpful in itself it's important to get the medical stuff stabilized before you start dealing with changing behavior uh, I've found very often that I mean it's just the primary thing to do if you start doing a lot of behavioral intervention that causes you know the epilepsy interferes a lot like when we have seizures we tend to lose a lot of functioning we tend to lose what we've learned so it's kind of like going in a cycle fix the epilepsy first work okay. on that first and i can't bear to leave this question so i'm going to squeeze sure. it in too my daughter was just diagnosed with asd she starts kindergarten this year how many children are in public school and thriving well that's a tough question um and you know first thing i want to say is I, you must be going through a tough time and i hope that you're not experiencing too much fear uh don't uh you know try to trust in the fact that you've been given a task and that you are capable of and it will be a very educational experience and there's a big uh, com support community um such as shannon and many other moms who will be there for you and uh, it's not so much your school that is the issue. It's a couple of different things you got to think about. One is, so I mean, yeah, I've had public schools that are better than private schools. Let's just put it that way. But that's not what you are depending on here. If your child has been diagnosed with ASD, you will need uh, behavioral intervention. You will need ABA. So what you and it, and you said your child's five and just got diagnosed. So that means it's a pretty high functioning child because otherwise the diagnosis would have come a little earlier. So my recommendation is you immediately get with a good behavioral program, um, behavior analysis, you know, an ABA program card. If you're around us, get with us. If you're not, there's plenty of other good ones. Uh, and please start that process first. Um, shoot for recovery, which means do uh, intensive work now. This is not necessarily lifelong. It's kind of like if I want to teach you how to play the piano, I could teach you, you know, one hour a week for the next 10 years and you'll get really good. Uh, or maybe you will, or maybe you'll give up, or maybe there will be other things that will become more important. Or I could do 40 hours a week and it'll take me probably a year before you get really good. You know, so um, do hit it intensively now, especially if your child's five and going into kindergarten, you can possibly delay a year or just reduce. So in other words, you're already hitting the age where a lot of other stuff becomes important in school. So reduce the amount of time in school, just do half days or do every other day or don't do school at all yet. 
intensify, do massive amounts of ABA. ABA is like one-to-one -one tutoring at this point and really, really accelerates. You might even just need a year and a half or two years and you're done and then your child can mainstream and move on. So don't think about the school, think about getting him the programs that he needs. And then school becomes just a, a setting for him to integrate and, and uh, interact with other kids. It doesn't become, it is not to be depended on in terms of this is my educational setting, this is where my child learns. No, your child's going to be learning from their ABA program. And I love that answer, um, but just to bring it full circle, when you get all those things that she's talking about, lots of kids excel in public schools yeah, yeah, and are fine. Yeah. But you've got to have that base. That's right. what's really um, key to it. All right, I've kept you past, <laughs> and I know, I, I know, I'll I'll take a, a, a lashing for that later no on. Problem. Um, but it was so wonderful to have you it's here and answering questions. We're going to take a break now and go to the A word very quickly. This is the ongoing documentary that's been made by the Center for Autism and Related Disorders following a little boy, Jack Riley, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. Take a look at what's happening in his family, and you'll see in this video how they begin to start working on some safety issues with him for him to be able to stop and go. Uh, it's a fascinating series. When we come back, Nancy Allspot Jackson will join me for In the News, and then we're going to welcome guests Emily Island and Star Taxman for a roundtable with autism moms talking about safety and what we need to do as a community what we need to do as individual moms. So stick with us. Here is the A word. Oh, really? Whoa, whoa. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, really? Jessica received an email from the other therapist that Jack Riley has been attempting to them. So she's checking in with Mike and Cheryl to see what's going on. Has he tried to bite you guys? He bit me. He got hurt. Oh, he got hurt. hurt. On Tuesday. Tuesday morning. He bit me good. Was it? Just out of... Oh, it was aggression. Was there a consequence? I, I, I snapped at him and he cried. Kind of unexpected too. Yeah. Or, and he doesn't bite out of a girl. Yeah. He never did that it's, before. It's, it's this sort of this week. No, no, yeah, uh, the girls have been telling me like just about every session he's yeah, trying to Mary, bite Mary them. Yeah, tried to bite her hand because he didn't want to walk. Yeah. And, and they, so we they took him out again yesterday. And it didn't start out well, but I think it ended up okay. Which his reward was he could, if he would walk to the count of 20, he could jump with mommy and daddy. We would have him jump. And that seemed to be enough of a reward for him to try to yeah. keep going without you know, going limp or trying to fight. Five jumps uh -huh. and then take 20 steps. So would it be okay if we went for a walk about like 9.30? No. Okay, 9.45. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, what's your name? Mata Tagwai. And how old are you? Two. When's your birthday? <laughs> oh, cool. That's soon. Are you worried about the biting? Um, a little bit, um, because I know a lot of our kids do it to get a reaction or um, to do it just, you know, out of protest that they don't want to do something. Um, I just don't want it to become an issue and become a behavior where it'll he'll generalize it to everybody else, like his family, um, therapists. So far, it doesn't sound like it's been happening a lot. 
Um, I just wanted to do it today just to see what the antecedent is and why he's doing it. Is it because he wants an extra minute of play or he doesn't want to, you know, transition from outside inside yet? Just to see what's actually going on. No, stop. 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 Stay with mommy though. Nope. Hold my hand. Stay with mommy first. Uh, hold my hand. Uh, hold my hand. Uh, Dude. You wanna what you wanna go to, to count to twenty? Should we count to twenty? And then you'll get little mermaid or do you wanna play? Okay, count to twenty. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all right. Well, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, nineteen, twenty! He's, he expects to be able to just run. I would suggest he just to get his compliance under control first. You give him an instruction, he complies, you give him his little freedom. Because I know he wants to run around. Give him words to use, like, you know, give me one more minute or, you know, I want more grass. Yeah. Jack. What's calling you? Come here. Come here. Oh, or be consistent about the rules outside. Like, you know, when I ask you to come here, you gotta come here. You know, I mean, if, if he's just not behaving, if he's not doing anything we ask, is it okay to pick him up and say, okay, we're going in? I don't know what to do. I mean, I get so frustrated. I think, well, let's, the, only, the only option I have is, can, let's, we're going in. And, I'll, and he won't go in with me, so I pick him up. I can't do it when he's 10, of course. Now it's like his, his main, uh, his main uh, weapon, is, just weapon is to just lay down. My suggestion would be um, ask him to come here, but just, you know, give him hugs or say what's up, but then have him run again. Okay. So that when you finally do give him the instructions, he's not, you know, too upset about it. Yeah. Because um, sometimes when you ask him to come here, he'll put up a fight because he knows that means I gotta go now. So if every, if every now and then he comes here and just Gives you a hug, gives gets, you a kiss, gets to be free, yeah. and he, it won't be such a bad such association. A, yes. It was a nice experience. And, uh, good, good. The last couple times have been seriously to where I, I didn't even want to take him outside again. Uh, just so traumatic. With the little mermaid? Oh, here mermaid. you go. Oh, here, y'all. The mermaid. Come down. Oh, my goodness. Oh, go show Susie the little mermaid. Oh, my goodness, yeah. 
Yeah, you are wearing a shirt. I'll be right back. You'll be right back. I'll be, but... <laughs> be right back. Welcome back to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Shannon Penrod, and Nancy Allspot Jackson will be with us momentarily. Uh, LA traffic, it's just one of those things. Uh, and, and I'm sure a lot of other things as well. We normally start the show with something called In the News, and I'm just going to kick it off. I don't know if you guys noticed that over the weekend in the New York Times, they had an article uh, entitled When the Caregivers Need Healing. And they weren't just talking about autism parents, but they they were talking about any parent or any individual who is the main caretaker for another person. Very interesting article. I want to encourage you to check it out in the New York Times. Uh, but they were talking specifically about a study that had been done trying to empower parents in a couple of different techniques things that we talk about here on the show all the time. So it was very exciting to me. Uh, started with Dr. Fred Volkmer, the director of child study at the center uh, at Yale University School of Medicine, quoted saying, the toll stress-wise is just enormous, and we know that we don't really do a good job of helping parents cope with it. Having a child that has a disability is all-encompassing. You can see how people could lose themselves. But they did this study, it was just published this last week in the journal Pediatrics, and it does offer hope. They were able to take a group of parents and in just six weeks turn the equation of stress on its head. They had two different groups that they looked at and the two different groups practiced different kinds of stress relief. One was a really mindfulness and being grateful for things around them, putting things in perspective, the kind of thing that we talk about all the time on the show with ACT, Acceptance Commitment Therapy. Uh, the other group was really focusing on curbing negative thoughts, um, and both groups were led by mentors, and at the end of the six-week period, everyone reported a great deal of reduction of stress. So really wanna mention that these things actually work. They did find that the mindfulness worked a little bit better than the other one, uh, and, and since that's something we talk about here on the show, I found that really positive. Both strategies, though, in August are gonna be made available and they run about $200 each or $350 for both manuals. And those are for special needs parents who want to start a group to do this kind of thing in their own area. So very interesting. All right, we are going to take a short break. We're going to bring Nancy Allspot Jackson in here and we'll continue on with the rest of our In the News. Stick with us. you find out you're having a boy you always think like oh he's gonna play football he's gonna do this and that and then when he's diagnosed all those things get washed away it's like that piece that's always in the back of your mind you know where is he what is he doing is he safe we really didn't know what we were dealing with I wish that they could have directed me a little bit more and provided me some information I was a young mom I didn't know what it was like to raise a boy despite a boy with autism Hundreds of thousands of families are not getting the help they need for their children with autism all around the country. ACT Today is determined to bridge the gap. These families really have to go through a lot to get a grant. The application process isn't easy. The records, the diagnosis proof, they're really battling for their kids. So when we can give them a grant, it is so wonderful to see that they succeed in getting that help for their children. 
Our founder, Dr. Doreen Grandpichet, is an amazing woman, and she is one of the world's foremost authority on behavior of children with autism. She's extremely knowledgeable, and she oversees every single grant we give. She is part of that process. People may think of autism care and treatment as simply schooling or therapy, but you know, we provide important safety supports, things like fencing, for example. The whole family's living in fear of that child running out into traffic. I recently delivered an iPad to a little boy with some of the apps that are out there for children with autism. Miracles happen. I got the iPad from ACT. From ACT, What yeah. did it say? Can you repeat that, Dustin? I got the iPad from ACT. We have helped so many military families. And when I think of these brave families that are fighting two battles, one to protect our country and one for the right treatment and care for their children, it, it breaks my heart. And I think we have to do more as a nation to help them. There's not a day that doesn't go by that we don't think about it. Some people say, oh, he's normal. You don't see the battles that I see every single day. My husband does have to deploy, and when they get on that bus, that might be the last time that my kids ever see them. So I called, and then they informed me that he had received the grant, which was like a blessing from above. I was just like speechless. I just started to cry because you know, without it, we would we would have been lost. The AT grant was a total miracle. Without that, we wouldn't be able to receive a service dog. So we're so appreciated what they've done for us as a family. Recently, ACT Today funded a program for military children with autism in San Diego, the Inclusion Films program, which is run by Joey Travolta, and teaches uh, kids on the autism spectrum literal filmmaking skills. They learn how to make a movie. Everybody? There you go, got it. Okay. Everything that goes into the process of making a film goes into everyday life. So they're learning life skills, they're learning to collaborate. It was really nice to know how much they were enjoying this camp and they're with people who are supporting them and are making them feel great about themselves and their differences and their similarities. And I get two kids that are working together and apart and together and apart, so it's an interrelationship as well as a camp and a learning experience. It's so fulfilling when I get letters. One stands out for me, a, a boy who was 14 with Asperger's, and we gave him a grant to go to a drama camp. He wrote to us and said, Dear Act Today, thank you for letting me belong for the first time in my life. These kids are remarkable. You know, we underestimate them. They're so knowledgeable, they're so capable, and we can change the life of a family, which means changing the life of a community. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to Let's Well. You've already welcomed everybody. Yes, but we're welcoming you. Well, thank you. We're glad Good that to be you're here. here. Yeah, yes. I had road closures and trying to get here today. It was it's, a mess. It's LA. Uh, LA. And we were just, and we all you missed was we did a story about reducing stress. And I'll oh, tell you good. about it. And it was in the New York Times. Well, uh, meditating works for me every day, every 20 minutes a day. That's the first thing I do. Otherwise, 
I would have jumped off a bridge a long time ago. I, I, I you know, I laugh in tears with you because <laughs> I understand completely. But our next story that we want to talk about is we're always looking at what what is the key, we're, we're the puzzle piece to autism that we're, we're missing. And there was a new study that was done that sheds a little bit of light on how our kids' brains function differently than kids who aren't dealing with autism. And this really didn't surprise me once again when I read this. It was out of the Stanford University School of Medicine. Mm -hmm. And the I guess the, the main headline is, autism brain less flexible at taking on tasks. Mm -hmm. So the brain at rest, the, the brain of children with autism at rest is inflexible at switching from being at rest to tasks. Yeah. And it takes them longer to process that. Now, I've learned from Dr. Temple Grandin that um, oftentimes, if if a if that person on the autism spectrum thinks in pictures as she did, that they have to go through a mental file in their head to attach the words to the photo or to the image that they see. Mm -hmm. So that was an eye opener for me because my son is a visual processor, and this just didn't surprise me because it just took that connectivity in the brain network of autistic children. Um, it it's harder for them to connect. And, and what was elucidating for me too, in addition to this, is thinking that they said that when the longer it took the individual to be able to get their brain onto a job task, the longer that it took showed it was a direct correlation to how severe the repetitive and restrictive behaviors were. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, I guess as a parent, what I appreciated about this is that I see my son, if I get him engaged and don't let his brain rest and we just keep going, mm -hmm. we get more done. But if I let him take frequent breaks, getting back on track is hard. Is a you know what, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and I've always noticed that, but this kind of shed for me that maybe, you know, those days when your kids have back to back sessions and and you're concerned about, oh, you know, they get breaks during the sessions. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not the worst thing for them. I agree that with Wyatt, being continually busy is best for him. Yeah. If he has downtime, it's hard for him to ramp back up. Yep. So. And, and I think it's important that we all have downtime, but what I started doing with Jem sort of because of all this, I, I guess because I just picked up on that that was a problem, was that eventually we had a morning, Sunday mornings, that was his downtime and he could play Legos. Mm -hmm. And I always knew that Sunday afternoon was hard to get him back into a session, but that was a lot easier than saying, well, we have an hour every day that he can go and do something. Mm -hmm. That was hard. Mm -hmm. But having one day a week for him to kind of decompress and play Legos and not have demands put on him, that was fine, and it was hard to come back from. So interesting that now they're seeing, and, and the key to this is that hopefully this will help them to design therapies that address this right. so that they can shorten that time period. Yeah, it's, it's really important because it does help us understand the way the brain works, and uh, they, the study looked at uh, 34 kids with autism and 34 typically developing children. And so uh, the groups are split in half and their brains were scanned during this period. And, um, you know, it's, it's a very, um, 
it's illuminating, and Absolutely. they do great work at the Stanford School of Medicine, yes, you know, focused do. on autism. So, and then our last story that we have is a, a sort of a feel-good story because a mom who uh, is an autism mom who writes a blog that you guys might be familiar with. It's called "I'm Just That Way." Mm -hmm. She was keeping track, as many of us do, of everything that our child is doing, so that we can figure out, okay, does this have to do with this? We started a new medicine. Did we do better after that? And you tend to keep charts. Mm -hmm. Almost like a, a living diary of everything you put in your child's mouth and right. everything they do and when yeah. they have... You graph a, a, it. Yeah, you graph it. And uh, she uh, met this young man, Ben Schutz, who mm -hmm. looked at this and said, there's got to be a better way. Mm -hmm. They put their heads together and came up with something that's called the Birdhouse for Autism. And it is a free app that you can download that gives you the ability to track things. People have been using it to great effect. Now, I will say that those of us who are skilled users have the ability to do that on skills as well uh -huh. but whatever way that people have to be able to track that kind of information and some of the things that they've been able to document that parents have been able to do just to give you an idea uh, that one person was able to identify what the cause of their child's meltdown was because they tracked the behavior mm. uh, Another person received a better referral to a neurologist from their pediatrician because they had the data and showed the doctor, look, this is what's happening. So they got a really great referral to a neurologist. Uh, somebody else got a better handle on potty training and, and did it more effectively because of it. And they made more educated decisions about their child's diet based on it. Another mother in Bloomfield, Michigan, with a six-year-old child with autism, was able to get her son out of a special education placement that wasn't super suiting him and into a different one because they tracked the data and went into the IEP and said, look, this is this child stimmed and then he did this and then things fell apart. So well praise that school district for paying attention because that doesn't work for me. I, I track everything and they don't seem to care. But well <laughs> <laughs> In any case, it's working for a lot of people. Good. We this always talk great... about it. data is important. Yeah. So if you're a skills user, you can use it in skills. If you're not a skills user, uh, Birdhouse is available. What's the name of this mom? Do we her, have her name? Because I just like to give a uh, shout out to these You know what? You're moms. absolutely right. And her blog, again, Danny is Gilman. I'm Just That Way. Danny Gilman. And she has an autistic daughter, Brody. And I just want to say, Danny Gilman, you're, you rock. Autism moms everywhere rock. We are the creator of so many of these new. Uh, See you need fill it. Yep, and it takes a village, and uh, we're coming up with so many great things. And speaking of that, uh, do we have one more story? No. No. Uh, we have two amazing autism moms with us. Yes. That um, have seen a need and they're filling it. Yes. Uh, warrior moms, as and we have them. been for quite yeah, a while. Yeah, and they're going to be with us, right? Yeah, we're going to do a, a sort of a, a panel here, roundtable for autism moms. So myself, and and you, and Emily Island, who we've had on the show before, and Star Taxman, who we've had on the show before. So four autism moms talking about safety, about things in our community, and what we can all be doing, uh, putting our heads together. In a way, we've all put our heads together in the last week in uh, different times in different places to help with, with Romario the issue Snow. Of Romario Snow. Now, you, when Romario was here yesterday, yes. you did an interview with him. Yes, and we're going to show that tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow. Yes. And tonight, supposedly, yes. if another water main doesn't break at UCLA, <laughs> yes. uh, which happened last night, yeah. we were bumped 
uh, it was supposed to air on KNBC, the segment with uh, Romario and his mother, yeah. and uh, Dr. Doreen Grampache talking about elopement and wandering and what an issue it is. Yeah. Um, I talked about how Act Today has a Safety Today program, and we gave uh, Romario a uh, tracking device, state-of-the-art yes. tracking device made by, it's called the iLock system, yes. uh, designed by a technology uh, maven, not maven, that's a woman, isn't it? Anyway, guru <laughs> named Tony Lama, who has an adult son with autism, and he graciously donated that with a year of the uh, charges that it takes to operate it. That device is waterproof. We're about to announce a program where we'll be giving away those devices as our Safety Today program, but we need funds, yes. as always. We want to give more things away, but we need more money to give them away. Right. So if you want to make a donation to Act Today and Safety Today, please go to our website, act-today.org. Um, you'll you'll hear tomorrow, and you'll see Romario with his yes. device. He thought it was a really cool. It's a he watch. liked it. It looked like a watch. He liked it. It was and, he was styling. Yeah, he was styling, <laughs> and uh, that was a very emotional experience yesterday. Yeah, I didn't get to. I I I sat with him here, and I saw him upstairs for just a moment with his baby sisters, his oh, twin baby sisters. Twin baby were, sisters. I was in heaven. Yes, and, nine uh, months old, nine little month white old babies. Dresses. They were the uh, Abuelita thing. was here, his yes. grandmother. And, and uh, his mom, and they are so happy to have their son back home after 20 days missing, Yeah, which we're all still trying to figure out how this happened, why not more was done about it initially, because he probably could have been found in a day if, if what we're trying, we're advocating for, which is including developmental disabilities into what's called a silver alert yes. that's been designed for seniors with Alzheimer's who go missing. Uh, but in fact, the numbers show that there have been far more deaths from wandering with autism. And uh, so what they're trying to do is they're incorporating the language to include developmental disabilities. So the next time something like this happens, there will be an alert, yes. an electronic alert that will go out to law enforcement and other public, uh, like the MTA, apparently. Romario was on the bus. Yeah. He was at various homeless shelters, um, but no one s reported it. And yeah. at the time Fiorella, his mother found him, uh, at the homeless shelter where she found him, there were two police cars right across the street. Yeah. If they had had a photo of him and then information that he was autistic and how to approach him, which is what our friend Emily Island, who has done so much yeah. advocating for um, individuals on the spectrum and teaching law enforcement how to deal and how individuals on the spectrum should learn to deal with law enforcement yes. and be safe the movie. Yes. So Star, the advocate, and Emily, activists, we're going to have them on to talk about we're this. We're going to talk about all this. Absolutely. So stick with us. We'll be right back after these messages. Hi, I'm Ryan with Autism Research Group. We study ways to improve the lives of kids with autism. One of those ways is teaching safety skills, such as what to do if they get lost. We hit the streets to find out if anybody knows the correct answer on how to teach a kid what to do if they get lost. You're teaching a child. What to do if they get lost. Yeah, you're trying to okay. make them independent so they have the skills. Gotcha, okay. Well, give them a compass. Codename's good idea, Centurion. We always have these whistles. <laughs> um. 
Oh, I'd also tell the kid, I tell the kid, don't get scared. It's all, you're gonna be all right, man. This is just the world. You're, this is planet Earth. You're at home here. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're at home. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're home. This guy's a genius. With that flawless logic, he just solved our homeless problem. And as for the unique sounding whistle, although very cool, it'll probably only work if you're in close proximity. And a compass. I have her call me. Yeah, she doesn't have a phone. Parents are like, you're too young, you don't need a phone. Establish some sort of like meeting place. What if they can't find a meeting place? Because sometimes mm. the kids get nervous when they get lost. Yeah. Is like a backup plan? Well, like well, plan B? Yeah, I don't know. No, not really. Let them go and find a new kid. Or <laughs> yeah, I've got a different one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's not much you can do. There is I stuff like... you can do. That's right, there is stuff you can do. In 2012, myself, along with my colleagues, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox and Dr. Adele Nadowski, published a study in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis on teaching kids what to do when they get lost. The study demonstrated how three simple things, rules, role-playing, and praise, were effective in establishing these help-seeking behaviors. The benefit of this method is it doesn't require the child to have a cell phone, or to have to locate a meeting place, which might be difficult if they're in a place like Disneyland. So once again, our method included rules, role-playing, and praise. Let's head back outside and learn about some of these rules. They should yell out loud. Can't find my mom, my mom, help me. Maybe yell out and scream for help. All right, scream really loud. Correct. And if that don't work, then... I don't know. Well, they could seek help from someone. Find an adult. Yeah, go to a vendor, you know, and say I'm lost. Find an adult, like a police officer or a fireman or an employee in the store, and tell them, and maybe they can help you contact your parent. It really is that simple. You don't need to get your kid a cell phone. You don't need to establish a meeting place that they might not be able to find when they're lost and panicking. And you definitely don't need to give them a compass. All your kid has to do is three things. First, yell mom or dad real loud. Two, if that doesn't work, find an employee, and then third, tell the employee they're lost. If they can't locate an employee, then tell them to find a mother with children, because that's probably the safest person to approach. I'm not saying that most men are predators, but most predators are men. That is a fact. I've read it in a fortune cookie. All right, so you've gone over the rules with your kid, and you've quizzed them, and they're able to tell you the correct responses so they understand the rules, but is that enough? How do you know they're gonna perform correctly in a real world setting? You need to get out there and find out if they can actually do it. So they'd go over the rules and tell them like, do this, do that, but how would you know if they actually knew what to do? If you wanted to shoot a basketball, and I just told you, oh, when you shoot a basketball, do this, this, and this. I never practice. You never practice, yeah. So it don't matter how many times we go over the rules or how well you can repeat them back to me, it's not gonna change until you get on the court and practice. Maybe do uh, like a, you know, a little skit with them. Like a role play? Role like. play, yeah. Your child, you're lost in the toy aisle. Okay. What do you do? I'm an attendant walking around. <laughs> I'm lost, I don't know where my mom is. And then once you practice, you just like praise them, give them feedback, like good job, you did it. Like reinforcing it. Yes, this woman wins the prize for best comment. She pointed out the most important part of learning, reinforcement. Now, in our study, we used praise, but for your kid, you might have to use something else. You might have to buy them a treat, a toy, take them to their favorite restaurant where they can eat unhealthy food and run around and climb through plastic tunnels that have the unmistakable scent of urine and then play games spending $20 to get a plastic little spider ring that they will eventually lose in the ball pit. The point is you need to reward your child for correctly demonstrating what you've been teaching them. Okay, I'm gonna call her. Hello? 
Hello, your child. Ryan, I was just in this thing. So you tested it out a in child. the store <laughs> to make sure I knew it. I had the rules. Yes. We role played it, and you made sure I knew it. And then, like, you said, "Good job," and all that. Now we're good to go. We're good to go. All right. Done. High five, right there. <laughs> yeah. So there you have it. Give your child the rules. Get out there and practice, and reward your child for responding correctly. For more information, please visit us online at autismresearchgroup.org. I'm Ryan Bergstrom. Thanks for watching. Yes. Ding. No. <laughs> yes, this woman wins the first. Yes, this woman. Yes, this woman wins the best. Yes, this woman wins the first place. Yes, this woman. Why can't I say woman? Yes, this woman wins. What's the line? Yes. Welcome back to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. And Shannon and I are welcoming to the studio two of our favorite women. Yes. Uh, autism moms, warrior moms, and uh, as is often the case, these women have taken their passion and have turned it into action in the world. You are activists, you are advocates. Emily Island is a, is a nationally known author and advocate, past president of the Autism Society LA, and she is also the creator of an amazing program and a movie called Be Safe, which is teaching law enforcement personnel how to interact with individuals on the spectrum, and conversely, teaching individuals on the spectrum how to interact with law enforcement. Yes. Star Taxman is a disability advocate and works with many families to educate them about their rights and to advocate for them within the system. So welcome ladies. Thank you very Thank much. You. Yeah. And we're here to discuss yeah. Well, our safety. community and safety, and I, I want to just recap a little bit about uh, how amazing <clears throat> these three women are because we had a we had a crisis in our community um, that that we Two didn't ago. that it took us a little while to know <clears throat> about, but we um, somebody uh, an autism mom Wanda Rapp. She notified Nancy and said, do you guys know about this young man, Romario Snow, who's missing? And it, and then Nancy called me and said, are you covering this? I said, I don't know anything None about this. None of us this. knew anything about so it. So we hit the ground running and started to take some action. But you Nancy, reached Nancy, out. Well, but you did a lot of things, too. And then Nancy had to leave. Nancy left. On a yoga at, retreat at a monastery for a long weekend. And, and, so, there I, and so there I was. And, uh, and a new call came from Wanda, the mom who had notified her. And said we need some help we need some help now some new things are happening in this case and I sat there and I said I don't know what to do <laughs> I don't know who to call and so and I thought for just a moment and then I called star and I called Emily and I said help what can this mom do what kind of help can we provide and both of them came through with flying colors I mean I want to cry I know, I know. by you know the fact that you guys called and really hit the ground running and had so many great suggestions for this mom and for this young man it was so amazing and then what was funny was, and you guys don't even know this, but I wrote back to let that first mom know that action had been taken and that you guys had, had given advice. And she got that email as she was dropping her child off to school, looked at the email and said, I sat here and cried wow. and said how amazing it is to be in the company of women who take care of each other. And this isn't their kid. We're all tearing up. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, I have to say that, you know, we, we were able to put our heads 
together and so much changed and we're going to have each one of you talk about what you brought to the pie but we also want to talk about how as a community because we there was two weeks when none of us knew that it was happening and and for us as a community to figure out how we shorten that time and help other communities to know what we what they can do right so that this never happens again yeah. mm -hmm. um, so to sum it up we had a boy 18 years old so of course when the police got the missing some of the posters some of the information mentioned he had autism some didn't that was not widely publicized Romario is functioning at the level of a 10 year old but the mother could not get the news media interested and she couldn't really get mobilized the community so what I'm going to start with you Emily what can our community do so we never underreact to a missing 18 year old boy with autism again well we have to know that people with autism are vulnerable and their developmental age doesn't match their calendar age that's one thing right there that they are critical missing and the press release I saw from LAPD that went out July 1st did say that he had autism and functioned like a 10 year old mm -hmm. the LAPD knows what it means so it's just getting the word out farther like through Facebook I thought I saw it in Facebook a while ago but I assumed he was found no. you know I, I assumed that it, I just didn't get the follow-up email that he was found I had right. no idea he was missing that long 20 days yeah which is roaming terrifying. the streets riding the MTA no less which if if we'll talk about this idea of a silver alert in a little mm -hmm. bit but had that alert system been in place for individuals with developmental uh, disabilities undoubtedly the MTA would have been aware of it yes. so anyway in homeless shelters and wandering the streets with shopping carts hooking up with homeless people well, can I be honest with you yeah Adults with autism aren't as adorable as children with autism. Let's and that is part of our problem, and I just have to say it so that it can be part of our solution. You're absolutely yes. right. The, the community is all over a lost child who is adorable like any little kid, but adults aren't as cute, and people have less interest, and people don't understand how vulnerable they are. Absolutely. But when I called both of you, the first question that you both asked me, I have to say, was, was this young man conserved? And maybe, uh, Star, you can talk a little bit about why that is so crucial and what, what conserving an adult is and, and why it's something that we need to do if we've got a teenager who is 16, 17, or 18, why it's a signal to everybody in the community and to the police when they are conserved that they need a little bit more help well first off you cannot conserve someone until they are 18 okay. but you can start the process but when they're 16 can start the process you really don't need to start the process before say three to six months okay and what does conserve cons mean that's what I was just gonna say and conserve <clears throat> is there's a huge difference between being a minor which is under the legal age of 18 and being an adult and it is an entirely different world once you hit adult age, whether you're still in school or not, whether you have an IEP or not, you still have, you at 18 get all your legal adult constitutional rights. Now, if you are, if you have autism or intellectual disabilities or psychiatric disabilities, and you're not really capable of making um, the choices that are in the best of your in your best welfare mm -hmm. then what a parent or caretaker can do is 
apply for what's called a conservatorship. And it actually, there are three different kinds, but the one that parents and caregivers can apply for is a limited conservatorship, which involves only seven of your constitutional rights. Okay. okay. All right. And then you, you have to fill out, it's a lot of paperwork, it's about 21 court documents. Of course. It's a big deal <laughs> to take somebody's constitutional right away. Right. One of those seven rights, for example, is the ability to vote, the right to vote. Mm -hmm. If they can fill out a, a voter form, then that right is not taken away from mm -hmm. them. So a, a judge takes everything very seriously. So is this a judgment it, call on behalf of the parents? It is. If the parents are willing to, to take on, or a caretaker is willing to take on, the responsibility of, um, of those seven rights, one to seven of those rights, then they can apply for the conservatorship, and you're asking the court system to grant you those rights. It's uh, as if you're still the parent mm -hmm. of a minor. Okay. So, so you have everything, you have all those rights that you have over your minor children, Okay, so let me ask both of you, um, hypothetically, okay, let's say Wyatt is now, you know, about to turn 18. And um, right now Wyatt's doing work, he's 12 and he's doing second, third grade level. Emotionally, you know, he's about second grade level. Um, and let's say he keeps at that level and when he's 18, he's really functioning more as a 12 year old. Would you recommend conservatorship in that kind of situation? I would definitely. Um, for example, my son Tom is considered very high functioning. He's yes. an accountant, graduated from college, drives and works. But he went to a health club to check it out and he came home and a few days later he said, Mom, I joined a gym. I said, what? He said, yeah, I'm a lifetime member. And he had signed a contract mm -hmm. and it was legal because he was over 18 and sure. it didn't matter they had autism. The law applies to people with autism like everybody else. So if the person needs more supervision and assistance with their rights, like to, to not be ripped off, to you know not be hurt, yeah. yes. To be preyed upon a, by, yeah. let's face it, there's a lot of people preying upon seniors out there. There's yes. a lot of people preying upon the developmentally disabled. So but, did you conserve your son? I did not because he can communicate with us. Now we have a deal you know, about these certain decision making right. that he'll come to us. If I felt he couldn't, uh, I know that sometimes he can't judge for himself, so he, but he, he's able to communicate with us and we help him. But someone who can't judge it for themselves and can't communicate about it is really the ideal person to conserve. Someone, who's develop, someone who always needs constant attention as a child needs is the most likely person. The most likely. But other people might need to be conserved. If the person wants to be conserved, you have a better chance with the judge. And if, if, the, if there's a clear need to conserve, then the judge uh, can usually see that. Okay, I have one follow-up question though. So you mentioned that there were seven, seven different points. Seven. Can you choose to conserve them only on parts of it and not yes. all of it? So yes. if, I, if I felt that I needed to conserve my son just for medical choices, could I do that and allow him to still vote? You... That would be up to the judge. Oh, no, 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 you don't have to apply for all those. Okay. You can check which one of those that you want. Okay. The main one I think that would be of concern here is housing. Yes. So one of those rights is, for example, with regional center. It is if, you're, if they're in a group home, mm -hmm. all right, it's voluntary. So if they walk out, 
they walk out. And if okay. you don't have a conservatorship, there's nothing you can do. Okay. The last, However, oh, sorry. If, if you have a conservatorship, it no longer becomes voluntary. All right. And then regional center is required to find um, maybe a higher level placement for that individual. Okay. okay. Emily, what were you about to I say? I was going to say the last uh, right that the judge wants to give away is sexual choices. Mm -hmm. um, but that can be conserved if someone Marriage. would be victimized. Yes, and all those kinds of personal sexuality choices can be conserved or left off the conservatorship. Okay. If it's felt that the person has the judgment to be safe and uh, make their own sexual uh, behavior choices, or if that needs to be controlled by somebody else to protect them. So it's, it's one of those things. But I did want to mention that unless an adult is conserved, if something goes wrong with the police, they don't have to tell you anything yeah. if the person's over 18. They that won't is the tell biggest you anything, right? They, they can't tell you anything. They can't. Yeah. Just like a HIPAA law protects mm -hmm. on the medical. Right. You know, it's a, you're in the same yes, boat. Yes, which I've been through extremely frustrating with both of my parents when they reached the end of their life because they had not signed that. And I couldn't get basic information on my parents' health. I couldn't call their doctors. So this is really important. And imagine that things. with our kids. Exactly. After we've been in control. Right. And all their not, lives. And losing that at 18. For right. a reason you're in control yes. of their lives. Yes. yes. So right before they turn 18, if they ha are fun high functioning, and have the mental capacity to realize what they're signing, another alternative is a power of attorney. So okay. with the power of attorney, then you still can get the medical information and everything, but with the power of attorney, they can take that away anytime they want. The, the, the child, your child can okay. revoke that. I don't want them to be my power of attorney anymore. Okay. 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 And also on the sexual choices, what that also includes and, and Emily's absolutely right about that. It also includes if they get preyed upon, let's say, by somebody of, uh, that wants a relationship with them okay. and wants to take advantage of them financially. Uh, okay. So you then have control to be able to control who they are friends with as well as their partner and partnerships and marriage. And that's very important. Of now course we, Because they, they get um, led on quite often. Yeah, some okay. questions. Yeah, uh, one question about how old was the boy? I think we've covered that since 18. you were in 18. But also they want to know, if they want more information about you guys, where can they go to get more information? Because I think people listening to this, then it goes, okay, I need to talk to one of mm -hmm. these two ladies. Mm -hmm. So Emily, tell a little bit about where they can find you. BeSafeTheMovie.com. If you hit contact us, I'm us. Okay, you're okay. us. And, and we should just, for a second, say, if you haven't already, you should get Be Safe The Movie so that your child, the, together, you and your child, whether they are young or adult, can sit and watch these things together. You will be more informed about what to do, and so will your child. It's if, such good work. Yeah, I'd like to also add, if you're a difference maker in the autism community, if you have access to a large group, um, by all means, share this with your child's school. If they're in a special needs school, by all means, share this with, with your, your behavior provider. This is a very important tool for our children. Yeah. 
Shannon said, every child and parent should watch this film. Absolutely. And also the curriculum that goes along with it, 300 pages of differentiated materials so Amazing. that we can reach learners with less verbal ability or less cognitive ability to be sure that they can be safe too. Right. And someone with more ability, they can go beyond the curriculum and learn about the laws that affect them when they turn 18 themselves. Right. Yes. And things like that. So this that's is, what we talk about. This is about. really important. And so. reaching STAR. How do yes. we reach you, STAR? My website is www.staradvocacy.com. And you have already and reached I'm, out to uh, Romario's mom, and you've yes. been working with her to help her to get him conserved. Yes. Uh, and made a lot of different recommendations for her. You had a big, long list of things that you that the two of you talked about. Um, and you really specialize in these older kids helping parents to negotiate this really difficult time. Yeah, one of the things that the police wanted to do with Romario was to question him independently of the mother. And they were concerned because they found in the backpack two license, driver's licenses and two credit cards. Well, Romario has no idea how they got there, but the police thought, well, he might be involved with a gang, so he might have stolen these. And the mother was obviously concerned, Fiorella was obviously concerned, because she didn't want her son questioned by the police without her there. But she has but no right 18. to that. Yeah. She has, she has no choice. Well, one of the inspirations for Be Safe is when I was working as an advocate for 300 families in Santa Clarita. One of my 14-year-old boy clients was taken out of his special day class by the sheriffs and questioned. And the, the mom didn't know he was being questioned, the parent principal didn't know, and the teacher didn't know. They just, everyone thought everyone else knew what was going on. So the first question they asked this boy, who was 14, had pretty severe autism, uh, functioned more like a nine-year-old. Mm -hmm. They said to him, do you know the difference between right and wrong? Mm -hmm. This is called the Gladys R question. In our state, if a child can answer, yes, I understand the difference, then they can be questioned without adult, an adult president over the age of eight. Wow. Any child, and I don't know if they changed Gladys R in our state, I know the PTA wanted to, but our, you know, this vulnerability uh, was what inspired me to, to create Be Safe, to teach our young ones to ask for a lawyer because they're yeah. not going to understand what's right. happening. Well, and they might answer yes, but they don't even know what the question right. yeah. meant. Exactly. They, they well, really this understand. boy went on to, yeah. to make a, a confession to a felony crime and was <sighs> prosecuted, left his high school in handcuffs and went straight to jail because he didn't understand this is why I created Be Safe. There's so many parts of the system that disadvantage our population and we don't even know what they are until something happens. Yeah. And so that's why I thought, well, what should we be teaching our young people? Lawyer up. Don't yes. answer no, I don't know the difference. Okay, yes. let's I, get I to lawyering up though. Let's get to the, that question. One of the money. first things I taught my son when he turned about 14 was, if you ever get stopped, you ever get in trouble, shut up and just say, I want a lawyer. Okay. That's all you have to remember because that's very important. And Nancy, my boy, my, my boy who this happened to, later when I was with him with his parents talking, we talked about lawyers, he said, but mom, I'm just a kid, I don't have money for a, a lawyer. Mm. So we, in my movie we teach that you can get a public defender okay. and it's yes. free and what that yes. means. And puts it in terms that they can understand. understand. Right. Yeah. Now yeah. let's talk about conservatorship though. Does that require funds? Is that something the average family can do without the help of an advocate? You can do it. You can absolutely do it. You can go down to the courthouse, to any courthouse in, in the country, and get the forms. They have help centers there. Okay. And you can fill out the forms. Uh, there's one that you take to a a doctor 
and have the doctor fill out. Mm -hmm. um, all it does is start the process. Who's well, giving parents this information? And I want to back up for a second uh, because both of you gave me a resource that has been life-changing okay. to me in the last week that I did not know about. Uh, and Emily, you were the that. first one. that you. Uh, it's a place called Betzedek. And they are going to be on the show with us on September 9th. Great. So um, to talk, I mean, they are an organization that provides the help to do a conservatorship yes. for free. Are they national? Uh, that I don't know. This okay. I think so. Are they? They provide I'm not free, sure. free legal care. Okay. Yes. Um, actually, they are at every at the L.A. County Courthouse. I believe it's Monday through Friday from nine to twelve. They're at Santa Clarita Courthouse there. once a week. I did not know this. Um, and that. Then also at the at the Pasadena Courthouse once a week. Okay. But we'll be For talking to them hours. about at okay. the national. But an incredible organization that provides legal help not just with conservatorship but with a wide variety of other things as well. Okay. And they provide oh, yes. that help for free, which is nothing short of amazing to me. And if you didn't know about it, you certainly wouldn't be searching, googling Betzetic now, would we? No. Um, no. So pretty incredible. And both of you, yes. you know, very quickly said, and I said, bet what? <laughs> uh, how do you spell that? Uh, but they'll be on the show on September 9th. I've been on their board of directors. They had a grant this past year for, they, they called it Partnerships in Collation. And it, it focused on our population that have intellectual disabilities that are heading into the geriatric mm. part of it, mm. of our world. And it is, it's, I mean, these phases sometimes are, that affects people who are 30 years old, it's as if they're 70 or 80 years old. Wow. Okay. Wonderful well, group. And, and we, this, we needed seven hours to be yeah, able to do did. this because we we're did. almost out of time. Oh. So let's go to last thoughts about, as a community, what can we be doing to prevent this kind of thing from happening before? What action can each one of us mm -hmm. take? Emily? Well, I think uh, a layer of tools, use your layer of tools to prevent things from going wrong in the first place. Have the ID bracelet. They don't have to be those horrible metal things anymore. The police are trained to look for the wrist. Okay. And if we can uh, identify a person who can't identify themselves so that someone sees in a homeless shelter, oh look, that person has the bracelet on, maybe I should call the police and the police will respond immediately yeah, to that. That's something I've never even thought about doing for Wyatt. Me neither. I haven't thought about that And either. they have Velcro ones, they have ones that you need two hands to take off but don't bother the skin and of course you'll have to do systematic desensitization mm -hmm. if yes. that's what it yes. takes yes. to With get the, the person to wear it. Yeah. But that, well, we're not using the tools that are at our disposal to prevent problems and and be safe is one of them and I was worried what would have happened if Romario was found by the police would he have run would he have fight and not Romario but just anybody right. exactly. in that situation do they know how to recognize the police as helpers mm -hmm. and cooperate and mm -hmm. that's why I created be safe and one of the goals that's another thing we're not doing is we're not making good transition plans to think of the future of adults so one of the I am a good yes. Yeah. Yeah. yes she is and she'll get to that <laughs> student will identify and demonstrate how to file follow five commands used by the police stop put your hands in the air interlace your fingers they say that Oof. put your hands on the back of your head sit down and cross your ankles in front of you that's what they're going to say. I and mean, it's, my child would be baffled. It's going to yeah. sound like a big, long string of right. nothing. nothing. Yeah. Unless they can see it, practice it, understand it, okay. and do it. Okay. So we need to, do, you need to get Be Safe the movie. That's what you need to yeah. do. Okay, and Star? I like the old camper tags that you can order. They're maybe 10 or $15, and mm -hmm. you can get hundreds of them. Okay. 
Um, the kind that when your kid goes to camp, you iron them on yes. in the inside Put of them your, in their clothes. the different clothing mm -hmm. and objects. With the phone they also number, have, address? With the phone number and address. That way it's on their underwear, it's on their shirts, right. it's on their socks. You can put it inside their shoes, mm -hmm. wherever. And obviously teach your child their phone number and address. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Very For important every to child. learn that. For every and, child. Yeah, every child. But particularly a nonverbal child, what can they do? Teach them how to write it out or to put the ID tag on. Okay. And yes. we don't, in any way, I just want to say, we don't want to villainize the police here. The police yes. are working Absolutely. on learning more about autism. And we know that a lot of our law enforcement are very sensitive to this topic. They want to learn. But some of them just haven't been given the education, right? Well, uh, the Autism Society has been taking the lead on training the LAPD. So far, we've reached 4,000 officers, the SWAT team, the 911 operators, mental evaluation, the zoo police, the jailers. But there's such turnover, and there's 9,000 on the force, so right. it's hard to get through. However, they're going now internal and finding more ways to work internally rather than having people come from the outside to train. They're getting more and more training on the inside. Plus, we have the state training that any department can have called Autism Spectrum Disorders Recognition and Re Response, a free DVD that any department can have from post peace officer standing and standards and trainings, and we made that with Daryl Steinberg. Uh, we passed a law and then got this film made again, given free to every agency in the state. So if somebody is watching in Kalamazoo and they want to get that for their police department, mm -hmm. who do they need to contact? They would them? have to contact POST, P-O-S-T, which stands for Peace Officer Standards and Training. And typically, an officer from Kalamazoo would have to call post. Okay. It's not for, you know, citizens. Okay. But you could lobby your police and say, hey, I'm aware of this video. It's mm -hmm. free. Could you please do it? Yes. Uh, we'll, I'll get media to cover it. The fact that you did do it will say nice things about you. We can lobby you know? here in our own communities in California. Yes. Uh, you know, any community can lobby for police education. Mm -hmm. Okay, so important. We're yeah. really out of time. Yeah, yeah. And, and on the silver alert, we'll keep you posted on that. Yes. It's going to, I believe, to the governor sometime in mid-August. So we may need some letters of support yes. from the autism community. Well, and we will have you ladies back to talk more about these things, but I really want to commend both of you for the work that you do, how tireless you both are in the community, and how willing you were to hear the cry and do something about it, in this case and in all cases. So. Again, Emily Island and Star Taxman, we salute you. I'm glad to be in the company of great women. As I am I. I have it was my pleasure. <laughs> I just want to say Our that. And sure. I will tell everybody that tomorrow we'll be back at 10 a.m. We'll have Dr. Adele Nadowski talking about safety. Dr. Jonathan Tarbox is going to be here with us talking about it. We are going to show the interview that I did with Romario and with his mom, Fiorello, tomorrow. And, and if you're in the L.A. area... Uh, check out KNBC at 5.30 tonight and the interview with Lolita Lopez with Dr. Fabulous. Doreen Grampache, myself, and the family. Very good. So all of that, make sure that you're back here tomorrow because we're going to continue talking about safety. But until then, please give your kiddos a hug from me. And yourselves a hug from me. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>